कहानी कैफे कहानी कैफे कहानी वाला रजत के साथ कहानिया हर तरह की होती हैं हर भाषा में हर जगह हर संस्कृति सभ्यता में कहानियां होती हैं पलायन योर स्टोरी टेलर कहानी वाला रजत एंड दिस इज कहानी कैफे ब्रॉट टू यू बाय मैकमलन एजुकेशन Recently we have started telling you stories in different regional languages. We have started with Tamil and very soon we'll be coming up with some stories in other regional languages like Malayalam, Kannada or Bangla even. If you prefer to listen to some stories in various different languages, do let us know. You can email us or write us. You can find Macmillan Education or Kahani Wala Rashad on Instagram as well. Today I am back with a Ruskin bomb story. This story is called He said it with arsenic. Yes, arsenic. Well, those who don't know, arsenic is a kind of poison. Now let's move to the story. Is there such a person as a born murderer in the sense that there are born writers and musicians, born winners and losers? One can't be so sure. The urge to do away with troublesome people is common to most of us but only a few succumb to it. If ever there was a born murderer he must surely have been William Jones. The thing came so naturally to him. No extreme violence, no messy shootings or hacking or throttling, just the right amount of poison administered with skill and discretion. A gentle civilized sort of person was Mr Jones. He collected butterflies and arranged them systematically in glass cases. His ether bottle was quick and painless. He never stuck pins into the beautiful creatures. Have you ever heard of the Agra double murder? It happened of course, a great many years ago, when Agra was a far-flung outpost of the British Empire in those days. William Jones was a male nurse in one of the city hospitals. The patients, especially terminal cases, spoke highly of the care and consideration he showed them while most nurses both male and female preferred to attend to the more hopeful cases nurse william was always prepared to stand duty over a dying patient he felt a certain empathy for the dying he liked to see them on their way it was just his good nature of course on a visit to nearby merit he met and fell in love with mrs browning the wife of the local station master Impassioned love letters were soon putting a strain on the Agra Merit Postal Service. The envelopes grew heavier, not so much because the letters were growing longer, but because they contained little packets of a powdery white substance, accompanied by detailed instructions as to its correct administration. Mr. Browning An unassuming and trustful man, one of the world's born losers in fact, was not the sort to read his wife's correspondence. Even when he was seized by frequent attacks of colic, he put them down to an impure water supply. He recovered from one bout of vomiting and diarrhea only to be racked by another. He was hospitalized on a diagnosis of gastroenteritis and thus freed from his wife's ministrations. soon got better but on returning home and drinking a glass of nimbu pani brought to him by solicitous mrs browning he had a relapse from which he did not recover 
Those were the days when deaths from cholera and related disease were only too common in India and death certificates were easier to obtain than dog licenses. After a short interval of mounting, it was the hot weather and you couldn't wear black for long, Mrs. Browning moved to Agra where she rented a house next door to William Jones. I forgot to mention that Mr. Jonas was also married. His wife was an insignificant creature, no match for a genius like William. Before the hot weather was over, the dreaded cholera had taken her too. The way was clear for the lovers to unite in holy matrimony. But Dame Gossip lived in Agra too, and it was not long before tongues were wagging and anonymous letters were being received by the superintendent of police. Inquiries were instituted. Like most infatuated lovers, Mrs. Browning had hung on to her beloved's letters. And soon these letters came to light. The silly woman had kept them in a box beneath her bed only. Exhumation were ordered in both Agra and Merit. Arsenic keeps well even in the hottest of weather and there was no dearth of it in the remains of both victims. Mr. Jonas and Mrs. Browning were arrested and charged with murder. Is Uncle Billy really a murderer? I asked from the drawing room sofa in my grandma's house in Dehra. Well, it's time I told you that William Jonas was my uncle and my mother's half-brother. I was eight or nine at the time. Uncle Bill had spent the previous summer with us in Dehra and had stuffed me with bazaar sweets and pastries, all of which I had consumed without suffering any ill effects. Who told you that about Uncle Bill? asked grandmother. I heard it in school. All the boys are asking me the same question. Is your uncle a murderer? They say he poisoned both his wives. He had only one wife, said Aunt Mabel. Did he poison her? No, of course not. How can you say such a thing? Then why is Uncle Bill in, in jail? Who says he's in jail? The boys at school. They heard it from their parents. Uncle Bill is to go on trial in Agra Fort. There was a pregnant silence in the drawing room. Then Aunt Mabel burst out. It was all that awful women's fault. Did you mean Mrs. Browning? asked grandmother. Yes, of course. He, she must have put him into it. Bill couldn't have thought of anything so, so, so dangerous. But he sent her the powders, dear. And don't forget, Mrs. Browning has since grandmother stopped in mid-sentence. Both she and Aunt Mabel glanced suspiciously at me and I said, Committed suicide. There were still some powders with her, right? Aunt Mabel's eyes rolled heavenwards. This boy is impossible. I don't know what he will be like when he grows up. At least I won't be like Uncle Bill, I said. Fancy poisoning people? If I kill anyone, it will be in a fair fight. I suppose they'll hang Uncle, right? Well, I hope not. Grandmother was silent after this. Uncle Bill was her stepson, but she did have a soft spot for him. Aunt Mabel, his sister, thought he was wonderful. I had always considered him to be a bit soft, but had to admit that he was generous. I tried to imagine him dangling at the end of hangman's rope, but somehow he didn't fit the picture. As things turned out, he didn't hang. White people in India seldom got the death sentence. Although the hangman was pretty busy disposing of decoits and political terrorists, Uncle Bill was given a life sentence and settled down to a sedentary job in the prison library at Naini near Allahabad. His gifts as a male nurse weren't unappreciated. They did not trust him in the hospital. He was released after seven or eight years, shortly after the country became an independent republic. 
He came out of the jail to find that British were leaving, either for England or remaining colonies. Grandmother was dead, Aunt Mabel and her husband had settled in South Africa. Uncle Bill realized that there was little future for him in India and followed his sister out to Johannesburg. I was in my last year at boarding school. After my father's death, my mother had married an Indian and now my future lay in India. I did not see Uncle Bill after his release from prison and no one dreamt that he would ever turn up again in India. In fact, 15 years to pass before he came back and by then I was in my early 30s, the author of a book that had become something of a bestseller. The previous 15 years had been a struggle, the sort of struggle that every young freelance writer experiences. But at last the hard work was paying off and the royalties were beginning to come in. I was living in a small cottage on the outskirts of Hill Station of Fostergunj, working on another book, when I received an unexpected visitor. He was a thin, stooped, grey-haired man in his late fifties with straggling moustache and discoloured teeth. He looked feeble and harmless, but for his eyes, which were a pale cold blue, there was something slightly familiar about him. Don't you remember me? he asked. Not that I really expect you to, after all these years. Wait a minute, did you teach me at school? No, but you're getting warm. He put his suitcase down and glimpsed his name on the airline's label. I looked up in astonishment. You're not, you, you couldn't be. <laughs> Your Uncle Bill, that's what I am, that's who I am. He said with a grin and extended his hand. None other. And he entered into the house. I must admit that I had mixed feeling about his arrival. While I had never felt any dislike for him, I hadn't exactly approved what he had done. Poisoning, I felt, was a particularly dangerous way of getting rid of inconvenient people. Not that I could still think of any commendable ways of getting rid of him. Still, it had happened a long time ago. He had been punished and he was a reformed character now. And what you have been doing all these years, my dear, he asked me easing himself into only comfortable chair in the room. Oh, uh, just writing, I said. Yes, I heard about your last book. It's quite a success, isn't it? Well, it's doing quite well. Have you read it? Ah, uh, I don't read that much. And what have you been doing all these years, Uncle Bill? Oh, knocking about here and there. Worked for a soft drink company for some time and then with a drug firm. My knowledge of chemicals was useful, you know. Weren't you with Aunt Mabel in South Africa? Well, I saw quite a lot of her until she died a couple of years ago. Didn't you know? No, I've been out of touch with relatives. I hoped he would take that as a hint. And what about her husband? Well, he died too. Not long after. Not many of us left, my boy. That's why when I saw something about you in the papers, I thought, why not go and see my only nephew again? Well, you're welcome to stay a few days, uncle. I said quickly. But then I have to go to Bombay. Well, this was a lie, but I did not relish the prospect of looking after Uncle Bill for the rest of his days. Oh, I won't be staying long, my dear, he said. I have got a bit of money put by in Johannesburg. It's just that, so far as I know, you are my only living relative, and I thought it would be nice to see you again. Feeling relieved, I set about trying to make Uncle Bill as comfortable as possible. I gave him my bedroom and turned the window seat into a bed for myself. I was a hopeless cook, but using all my ingenuity, I scrambled some eggs for supper. He waved aside my apologies. He would always been a frugal eater, he said. Eight years in a jail had given him a cast iron stomach. 
He did not get in my way but left me to my writing in my lonely walks. He seemed content to sit in the spring sunshine and smoke his pipe. It was during our third evening together that he said, Oh, I almost forgot. There is a bottle of sherry in my suitcase. I brought it specially for you. Well, that was very thoughtful of you, Uncle Bill. How did you know I am fond of sherry? Just my intuition. You do like it, don't you? Well, there is nothing like a good sherry, I must say. He went to his bedroom and came back with an unopened bottle of South African sherry. Now you just relax near the fire, he said agreeably. I'll open the bottle and fetch glasses. He went to the kitchen while I remained near the electric fire, flipping through some journals. It seemed to me that Uncle Bill was taking rather a long time. Intuition must be a family trait because it came to me quite suddenly. The thought that Uncle Bill might be intending to poison me. After all, I thought, here he is after nearly 15 years, apparently for purely sentimental reasons. But I had just published a bestseller and I was his nearest relative. If I was to die, Uncle Bill could lay claim to my estate and probably live comfortably on my royalties for next five or six years. What had really happened to Aunt Mabel and her husband, I wondered. And where did Uncle Bill get the money for an air ticket to India? Before I could ask myself any more questions, he reappeared with the glasses on a tray. He set the tray on a small table that stood between us. The glasses had been filled, the sherry sparkled. I stared at the glass nearest me, trying to make out if the liquid in it was cloudier than that in the other glass. But there appeared to be no difference. I decided I would not take any chances. It was a round tray made of smooth Kashmiri walnut wood. I turned it round with my index finger, so the glasses changed places. Well, why did you do that? asked Uncle. Uh, well, it's a custom in these parts. You turn the tray with the sun, a complete revolution. It brings good luck. Uncle Bill looked thoughtful for a few moments, then said, Well, let's have some more good luck. And turned the tray around again. Ah, uh, now you have spoiled it, I said. You are not supposed to keep revolving it. That's bad luck. I'll have to turn it about again to cancel the bad luck. The tray swung round once more. And Uncle Bill had the glass that was meant for me. Cheers, I said, and drank from my glass. It was good sherry. Uncle Bill hesitated. Then he shrugged and said, Cheers, and drained his glass quickly. But he did not offer to fill the glass again. Early next morning, he was taken violently ill. I heard him vomiting in his room and I got up and went to see if there was side of the bed and went to see if there was anything I could do. He was groaning, his head hanging over the side of the bed. I brought him a basin and a jug of water. Would you like me to fetch a doctor? I asked. He shook his head. No. I'll be right very soon. It must be something I ate. It's probably the water, I guess. It's not too good at this time of the year. Many people come down with the gastric trouble during their first few days in Fosterbund. Ah, that must be it, he said, and doubled up as a fresh spasm of pain and nausea swept over him. He was better by evening. Whatever had gone into the glass must have been by way of preliminary dose. And a day later, he was well enough to pack his suitcase and announce his departure. The climate of Foster Guns did not agree with him, he told me. Just before he left, I said, Tell me, uncle, why did you drink it? Drink what? The water? No, the glass of the sherry into which you had slipped one of your famous powders. He gaped at me, then gave a nervous, whinnying laugh. <laughs> you will have your little joke, won't you? No, 
I mean it, I said. Why did you drink the stuff? It was meant for me, of course. He looked down at his shoes, then gave a little shrug and turned away. Then he said, In the circumstances, it seemed the only decent thing to do. I'll say this for Uncle Bill. He was always the perfect gentleman. This was the story written by Ruskin Bond. He said it with arsenic. I'm a storyteller, Kahani Wala Rajat. Soon I'll be back with one more story in our podcast, Kahani Cafe. Kahani Cafe. Kahani Cafe. Kahani Wala Rajat Kesat. Kahani Cafe.